If you have a Bible, let's open up to Psalm 100. If you have no idea where the Psalms is, if you have a copy of God's Word, just kind of like go to the middle and open it up. The Psalms are there. We're going to finish up kind of our Advent series this morning, day after Christmas. We'll eke one more out of it. Feel free to use the table of contents if you had no idea where the Psalms are in the Old Testament. Look for the big number 100. We're going to read that Psalm. It's only five verses, but a lot packed in there. It's a Psalm of Thanksgiving this morning. Remember, the Old Testament says someone's coming. Someone's coming. And so as we read this Old Testament, as we read this Old Testament passage, we're always asking, how does this point forward to this promised Redeemer? How does it point forward to Christ and all that He has done? And how does He fulfill this? And as you're opening up to Psalm 100, I'm going to tell you a story. In late February of 2000, Mozambique experienced its largest rainfall in more than 50 years. And by March the 2nd, there were an estimated over 100,000 people who needed to be evacuated due to flash flooding, including countless numbers of people who were trapped up in trees. And you can imagine this flash flooding that comes in if you've ever experienced a flash flood. You know, the waters rise quickly, and so a lot of these folks, all they could do was just get up in a tree because this torrent of water was just ripping through. And their only escape was to just climb up in a tree and, and hope to hang on. And one Mozambique minister named Samuel Naftal gave thanks to God and mosquitoes of all things for saving his life. You think, why in the world would somebody thank God for mosquitoes? Many of us wonder, like, Lord, what were you thinking when you came up with those? That and the, like, the duck-billed platypus. Like, what, what were you thinking? But this, this pastor thanked God for these mosquitoes, and we'll, we'll find out why here in just a second. You see, as Samuel, along with 16 other people, clung tightly to the limbs of trees for two days as the floodwaters raged below, he began to preach and encourage those with him. All of them hoped his preaching would keep them alert to their surroundings. Because you can imagine if they lose their grip and they fall out of the tree down below, they'll be immediately swept away by the floodwaters. So they're, they're trying to find ways to stay awake and to stay alert. And so this pastor just begins to kind of preach to them and encourage them and, and try to just speak to them to help keep them awake long enough. The pastor said, I helped some people climb onto the roof of my house and then climbed into a tree with others, said Pastor Samuel. We saw televisions, furniture, and dead calves floating past. Everything was destroyed. The people asked me to preach to them so that they would stay awake. And today I thank God for the mosquitoes because they prevented me from falling asleep and falling into the water. I would have been swept away. You see, what Pastor Samuel was talking about there was just a heart of gratitude as he saw God's hand even in the small things. He said, Lord, thank you for the mosquitoes. They annoyed me enough to keep me awake so that I could keep these other people awake as we watched just utter devastation around us, and we were literally clinging to our lives up in a tree. And so just thank you, Lord, even for the mosquitoes. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that if the stars only came out once a year, everybody would stay up all night to behold them. He said, quote, If the stars should appear one night in a thousand years, how would men believe in a door and preserve for many generations the remembrance of the city of God which had been shown? But every night come out these envoys of beauty and light the universe with their admonishing smile. When we think about what Emerson is talking about here is we've seen the stars so often that we really don't even bother to look at them anymore. 
we have grown accustomed to the blessings that surround us, and oftentimes we take them for granted. And God has been very good to His people, and I think we need to take some time to celebrate and be thankful, lest we forget and grow, and grow blind to the blessings of God that surround us. I, wanna, I want us to do that right now. Just take a few seconds in your mind, especially when you think back, we're kind of the last Sunday of the year. Think back on the, the last year that's gone, and I want you to just think of five things that you simply want to thank God for as you reflect on this past year. It's okay, I'll wait. Just think of a couple things. God's been kind, has He not? With that in our minds, let's go to Psalm 100. Let's remember our good and loving God. Let's give attention to the reading of God's Word, His holy, inspired, and infallible Word, and may we receive it by faith this morning. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray together this morning as we consider this text. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this reminder of how you have been so good to us, and help us as we consider all that you have done this past year to come before you with thankful hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would take these words and speak to our hearts and help us to leave here changed just in some small way. Holy Spirit, please come and meet us here. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I've told this story before. And it just, just a good reminder for us again, several years ago when I worked for the ministry RUF, which is the PCA's campus ministry, this is about 2014, it was kind of right before I started my final year in Virginia, I remember going to RUF staff training. And at the time, the kind of leader of RUF, who has remained a good friend of mine and, and a guy that I call when, uh, oftentimes when I have no idea what I'm doing as a pastor, which is a lot, I call him and go, hey, Rod Mays, help me understand this. And Rod has just been a faithful friend. Rod Mays at the time was the leader of RUF. And usually the way this started was he would usually start with what we affectionately or maybe not so affectionately referred to the state of the union. And Rod would get up and kind of give us a state of the ministry, and here's what's going on, and here's the new campus ministries that have started, and, you know, it's kind of more of a business meeting. But I remember at this one particular staff training, he said, you know, Christians, especially us reform types, we just don't celebrate enough. I remember him saying that. You know, Christians, especially us reform people, we just don't celebrate enough. And what he did at that moment was off to the side, on either side, there were some tables that we walked in and they were covered with some sheets. And what he did was he uncovered them and it was food and drink. And he said, you know what? We're just going to have a party. We're just going to pause right now and we're going to start this RUF training with a party. And that's what we did. And it was awesome. And I just remember him saying that. We just don't celebrate enough. And it just sunk deeply into my brain and into my heart. Because that's a sad but often true reality, especially kind of in our corner of Christian 
um, in a corner of Christianity and our desire to be theologically precise, which is not a bad thing, we often miss wonderful opportunities to just simply celebrate. And that sentence stuck with me because it's often true about my heart too. I want to have, quote-unquote, an attitude of gratitude. But if I'm honest, and if you're honest, probably life gets in the way. We can probably all agree on something here this morning, that life, daily life can at times be absolute drudgery. It can feel like we're just putting one foot in front of the other. We can probably all admit or agree with that at some level, which is kind of interesting because most time you put this amount of people in a room and we can't even agree that the, on the color of the carpet. But I think we can all agree that daily life sometimes can just be absolute drudgery. And we don't live lives of thankfulness because most of the time we're just trying to survive. I, I tell you all from time to time, a lot of times the week starts and I get to the end of the week and I look back and it's Thursday. I'm like, where did, like, where did that week go? It's Thursday again. What just happened? Often the only thing we're thankful for is our coffee pot and our bed because we're so exhausted from the stuff of life. When you think about schoolwork and jobs and after-school activities and meetings and illnesses and bills and chores and stuff to do and waiting on hold on the phone, that's amazing, right? You know, you're like, I am losing years of my life right now, and if I have to hear that hold music one more time, I may snap my own phone in two. You think about how all this just compounds over the year, and we think about, especially at this time, this is why we need Psalm 100. We need Psalm 100 to help us to slow down, to remember, and to be thankful. That's what Psalm 100 is good for. Here's what William S. Plummer said, speaking of Psalm 100. He said, if anything could stir the soul of a devout person, it would be the sentiments here so happily expressed. So, we're going to ask the big question this morning, if you're a note-taking type of person. Here's our big question. How does Psalm 100 remind us to be thankful? How does this psalm remind us to be thankful? It reminds us of two things. These will be our two main points. It reminds us, number one, of the call to thankfulness. Number two, it'll remind us of the core of thankfulness. So, the call and the core. So, let's look at that first point. Psalm 100 reminds us of the call to thankfulness. And I want you to notice the imperatives used here. There's actually seven total imperative verbs used in this psalm. And you have make, serve, come into, know, enter, give, and bless. That's seven. Seven imperative verbs here. So Psalm 100 is shouting at us, trying to snap us out of our drudgery. The psalmist calls us to worship the Lord in every aspect of our lives. Look how it starts in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. It can also be translated shout for joy or triumph. And the word Lord there is Yahweh. So this is, this is the covenant making and the covenant keeping God, the covenant name of God. Make a joyful noise or shout to the Lord, to Yahweh, all the earth. And you notice too in this, in this that all the earth, we see Gentiles are included in this call to praise their creator. It's not just shout to the Lord, all you Israelites. It's shout to the Lord, all the earth. Because all of us, he, he stands over and above. He's created all things. He's the maker of all things. And so shout to him. Then look at verse 2. It says, serve the Lord. There's Yahweh again. Serve the Lord, Yahweh, with gladness. Now I know it's easy to fall into the rut of serving the Lord out of bare duty instead of an ongoing sense of joy and gladness. 
anybody who does what I do for a living, it's always good for us, this call that the Lord has placed upon us, you know, it's easy just to get into a rut. We're just getting into a rut. I'm doing church stuff. And fall, many of us probably fall into this same, it's easy just to kind of fall into a rut and I do what I do because that's what I do. And instead of doing it with a heart of joy and thanksgiving, you just kind of throw it into autopilot and go. And this is a good reminder for us this morning. Here's what Spurgeon said. He said, those who serve God with a sad countenance because they do what is unpleasant to them are not serving him at all. They bring the form of loyalty, but the life is absent. Another fancy way of saying that is we can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And it's easy to just go through the motion spiritually because we think that that's what God wants us to do. Or because other people tell us that that's what we're supposed to do. And so we start seeing God like a drill sergeant going down his checklist. Have you done this? Have you done that? Well, what about this? Well, what about that? But the psalmist calls us to come into his presence with singing. And here's what George Robertson said from the ESV Gospel Transformation Study Bible, the little footnote about this. He said, The most obvious expression of gratitude is singing, which is the joyful expression of love and overflows from a liberated heart. Think about what we did on Christmas Eve. We got together and we just sang. And it was great. Think about how this, this time of year in the kind of the Christmas season, it's always marked by songs. and a, We love to just sing these songs. People don't go caroling any other time of the year, do they? But they do at Christmas time. I mean, how random would it be like in the middle of March for somebody to come in and just start singing in a business? I'm like, what are you doing in here? But at Christmas time, people come in and go, oh, they're caroling. And we sing along. It's this... It's this it's, it's this idea of it wells up in us. Christians have always been singing people. The, the psalm that you're looking at right now, a lot of times, especially when you get into the psalm of ascents, and a lot of people, a lot of scholars think that a lot of these psalms, this is like a, like a hymn book that you have, that these psalms were sung. Christians have always been known by our singing, and we're commanded to sing, and we're commanded to shouts of joy and cymbals and play on the lyre and all of these other instruments. We're just singing people. I love, as I've told y'all, I love sitting up here and just listening to you sing. It's just a joy to my heart. And I enjoy singing along with you. And oftentimes, isn't it funny how a song can put into words the things that we most deeply feel at the heart level. And sometimes it just gives us the words and even the melody. It just kind of grabs our heart. And we just love it. I told you about how I love Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's one of my favorite Christmas hymns. It's not just the words. The words are just so rich. There's so much theology packed into those stanzas. But I even love the melody. I love the melody of the song. I love everything about it. And so we think this, the psalmist is calling us to come into the presence of Yahweh with singing as, as it overflows from us. And we don't know what else to do other than to just burst into song. But... Why do we serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing? That's the big question. Why do we do it? What's the motivation? Look at the first half of verse 3. First half of verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. That word know, there's the Hebrew word yada, Y-A-D-A, if you want to write it in English, yada. It means more than just kind of like an intellectual ascent. It's, it's much more than that. It's it's like a deep remembrance of, or a confession of. Know, confess, remember, dwell upon this. 
Know that the Lord, He is God. It's a good reminder to us all. He's God, and we're not. And that's okay. I'm all right with that. He is high and lifted up, and I come into His presence, and I remember that He is the holy, holy, holy God, and I'm not. But He's just been good. We think about what we're called to do here. It's We were built to flourish under God's sovereign care. And think about how we grow bitter and joyless when we try to live as the own little, quote-unquote, little God of our universe. Think about what happens when unchecked pride or just exhaustion, or we're just worn out from trying just to do it all on our own, and we grow bitter and angry when we're trying to really trust in ourselves more than we are the Lord. Here's what Henry Ward Beecher said. He said, Pride slays thanksgiving. But a humble mind is the soil out of which thanks naturally grow. A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. I want you to think about how much anxiety comes when we worry about the things that we actually have very little control over. God calls us to trust Him and rest in His sovereign providence, rest in His decrees. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. You think about God's providence, his preserving and governing all his creatures and their actions, and he's in charge, and we're grateful for that, and we rest in that. You see, Jesus offered similar wisdom to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 25. Here's what Jesus said. Said, and he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and what you'll eat, nor about your body or what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Jesus is reminding his disciples and reminding us that we... We love and we serve and we live under the providence of God. And He cares for even the birds. He cares for the animals in the fields and the forests that surround us. Yet how much more will He care for us? Those distinctly and uniquely made in His image. It's amazing when you think about it. This The Lord's been good. And so as you consider this past year, and you think about your spiritual life and your overall outlook on life... Just a couple of diagnostic questions. Are you growing more thankful or more thankless? Are you growing more grateful or are you growing more grumpy? Is Jesus teaching you how to slowly give up control and trust him? Or are you still wearing yourself out trying to stay in constant control of literally everything? It's a good time at the end of the year to kind of just think back. We say, what has the Lord done? How is he changing me? How is he shaping me? How am I seeing the Lord work in my heart, even just in some small way? And are we growing more grateful or are we growing more grumpy? It's a good way to think about it. The Christian life is not something to simply be endured with gritted teeth and a white-knuckled grip. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one, as our catechism starts, it asks the question, what's the chief end of man? The answer, many of you know, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, how do we do that? Lots of ways. That's what makes it fun. How do we glorify God and enjoy Him forever? All kinds of different ways. 
It's a life that's to be enjoyed and seen as a gift. There's a lot of great stuff about being alive today. Like you think about the list that you made up. You know, the five things that you can be thankful to God about. I bet if I gave you enough time and enough pieces of paper, you could probably walk down the list and just tick off more. That's the amazing thing. It's a good life that the Lord has given us. It's good to be alive. I'm, I'm grateful for every day that the Lord gives me. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for Fort Payne, this town that I didn't even know existed on a map three years ago. I'm grateful for the ways that y'all have loved me and my family. I'm grateful for the friendships that have been formed. I'm grateful for the Lord preserving this church through two years of just absolute weirdness. I mean, think about what the Lord's done. The lights are still on. The building's still here. People are still coming back. Our church has grown. It's amazing when you think about it. The Lord's been kind. I'm grateful for this town that we live in. I mean, I'm grateful for the waterfalls that are literally 15, 20 minutes from here. I'm just, the Lord's been kind. I mean, I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful to be here. Grateful for my family. I'm grateful for just the opportunity to be here and to, to get to know you better. The Lord's been kind, and I'm glad to be alive. And I hope you are as well. It's just good for us to take a few minutes and just, just sit here and just go, man, Lord, you've been kind. But I get it. I understand. Me standing up here and telling you to be thankful is not going to do anything if your heart's not first been gripped by the grace and forgiveness of God. It can just sound like another moralistic lecture and yet another thing to add to your ever-growing spiritual to-do list. Just Dave up here going, go be thankful. You're like, okay. <laughs> How do I do that? Our hearts need to be gripped by something else. And this is where the good news comes in. Because you and I don't have the resources to just conjure up a thankful heart. Psalm 100 calls us to be thankful because of something. This is the core of thankfulness. This is our second point. There's a call to be thankful, but why? There's a core to that thankfulness. Psalm 100 calls us to be thankful because of something. I've said before that the indicative drives the imperative. So imperatives, go, serve, do, it's always the indicative, a statement about what is true, drives how we respond to it. And we see that again here. What's true about God drives our desire to obey Him. And this is the core of thankfulness in our second point. You see, thankfulness flows out of the promises and faithfulness of God to His people. Even in the midst of our sin and rebellion, He's still faithful. He's still gracious. He's still kind. Look at the litany of promises God calls us to remember. Look at the second half of verse 3. The first half of verse 3 says, No, remember, dwell upon, confess that the Lord, He is God. Why? It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of his pasture. That's ownership language. We are his. We are in his fold. It's a reminder of whose we are. It's a reminder of God's good care for his people. We spend way too much time thinking about who we are. Who I, how am I seen by others around me? We spend way too much time thinking about who we are and way too little time focusing on whose we are in Christ. This psalm reminds us we are part of the flock of God, and He's our good shepherd, and He loves us. It's whose we are that matters. We're in Christ, and, and that allows us to just to rest in that. Remember Psalm 23, it's good to be a sheep. 
It's good to be a sheep. Why? Because you have a shepherd. That means you have a shepherd. And he walks with us and he loves us and he, and he draws near to us. Look at verse 4, the first half of verse 4. We're called to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This is access language. Enter into the gate. Enter into the court. It doesn't mean you have to sneak your way in. It means you're allowed in. This is access language when you think about this. The gates and courts of the temple. Enter into his presence. Enter into his house with thanksgiving. What a privilege to be able to enter into God's presence through Christ. All of this is possible because of Christ. We have access into the presence of God because of the cross of Christ and His blood that was spilt on our behalf. Again, think about what happened at the crucifixion when Jesus died. What happened to the curtain in the temple? It was torn in two, but in a very specific way. It says that it was torn from top to bottom. What this meant is this is God who is now tearing the curtain and opening the way and now saying, you have access because of my son. You are now allowed in because your sin debt has been paid for. And you can now enter in with confidence. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, we enter in with confidence through this new and living way that Christ has opened up for us because of his blood. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to just be reminded of this. And so what's the response? The second half of verse 4. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. Thank you, O Lord, for all that you have done. Thank you, Father, for this access in which we have. Why? There's even more. Look at verse 5. There's even more. More promises. Look at verse 5. For the Lord, there's Yahweh again. The Lord is good. His steadfast love, there's that Hebrew word hesed, your covenant faithfulness, your loving kindness, your steadfast love. For his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is covenant language. God's covenant faithfulness to his people drives our thankfulness. God is faithful even when we are faithless. And we are grateful for that, thankful for that. Where do we see this covenant faithfulness on full display? Look no further than the table set before you. This table of grace set before you. This reminder of all that Christ has done. His body and His blood broken and shed for us. So that instead of being an enemy of God, we are now His children by grace and we have access through Christ. This is where we see God's love on display here, that he sent his son into the world. We talked about the incarnation of Christ. Remember how we said the manger, the cross, and the crown, they all hang together? Christ came into the world, his incarnation. What we see here is his humiliation, where he came and he lived the life that we could never live, and he died the cursed death on the cross so that he could rule and reign as king. And we have the promise of eternity with him, but how do we know that his covenant promises are true? Look no further than the table set before you and be reminded of all that Christ has done. For you, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, we talked about the best thing that will ever happen to you because of Christ has already happened to you at the cross. It's amazing when you think about this. All of this is undeserved. 
yet it is given to us by grace through faith in Christ. And God's love towards broken people like us is absolutely breathtaking. And it should lead us to live lives of gratitude and thankfulness and faithfulness regardless of present circumstances. Regardless of what life looks like. We just rest and trust in Christ and all that He is. And we say, thank you, Lord. You've been so good. You've been so kind. Help me to remember it's a good time, the end of the year. Just pause and to just look back and say, thank you, Lord. It's by grace you've led me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. It's that old hymn, Amazing Grace, right? Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Here I raise my Ebenezer, this rock of remembrance. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure... You will safely lead me home. Lord, you've been so good up until this point. Thank you. Help me to continue to trust you into the future. And you think about what God has done as he sent his son to come and to, and to dwell among us. What's that look like? I've read this before. But if you're like me, you forgot what you had for breakfast yesterday morning. It comes from a book entitled Mortal Lessons by Richard Seltzer, M.D., and it's actually talking about, it's a, it's a book about surgery. But there's this great little quote, there's this great like little vignette that he gives. He says, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth has been severed, and she'll be like this from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh, I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut that little nerve. Her young husband is in the room, and he stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, a private moment. Who are they, I ask myself, he and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously? The young woman speaks, will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say it will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent, but the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand, and I lower my gaze. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth, and I'm so close that I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers to show her that their kiss still works. Isn't that good? Why should Christians live a life of thankfulness? 1 John 4, 9. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. That's where the gospel takes everything you know about the Christian faith and turns it on its head. We don't obey so that he will love us. We obey because he does love us. We show others grace because he's been gracious to us. We show others forgiveness because he's shown us forgiveness. We can be patient and kind with others because as we see, God came and he dwelt among us. In many ways, he twisted himself to come and to live the life that we never could so that we could receive the grace that we don't deserve. He condescended to save us. He became like us to redeem us. And this is absolutely amazing news. And so as we close, if we think about this, if the gospel message is true, which it is, it is, ladies and gentlemen, then there's not enough time in this life to thank God for his work of redemption. And so we'll carry on into eternity, which is exactly what we were created to do. 
As the of the Father's love begotten hymn says, we will hymn and chant and high thanksgiving evermore and evermore because Christ has won eternal victory. And that heavenly perspective, that eternal perspective, allows us to be grateful even in the here and now, even when life is tough, because as Paul says, it's like a light and momentary affliction. A light and momentary affliction when compared to the eternal weight of glory that is set before us. And you think all of that, that eternal weight of glory, if you are here and you trust Christ as your Savior, that is your hope. And it has been secured at the cross of Christ. And you didn't deserve a lick of it. But it's because He's good. And so how do we respond? We enter into His gates with thanksgiving. We say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Being reminded of God's faithfulness to us leads to a heart of thankfulness to Him. And I want you to just, you want some application? Take a little bit of time today or in the next few days to just be still. Just sit down and be quiet. Turn your phone off for five minutes. And just be thankful to God for all that He's done. Just sit quietly, be still, and know that He's the Lord. Be still and just think, Lord, you've been so kind. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for everything. Let's come to this table of grace now with grateful hearts as we consider the covenant love and the faithfulness of our Lord and Savior. We come with grateful hearts to this table. And we say thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Amen? Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, O oh Father. Thank you that you have done all of this on our behalf. When we did not deserve it, O oh Lord, you came and you dwelt among us. And you proved your love and you proved your mercy to us through the cross of Christ. And so, Lord, we do pray that we would take a few moments just to consider all that you've done. It's by grace that you've led us safe thus far. And it is by grace that you will lead us home. And as we come to your table, we pray that we would come before you with gratitude and thanksgiving, but also with humility, recognizing, O oh Lord, that the only thing that we brought to the salvation equation is the sin that made it necessary. And you dealt with it at your cross. Lord, help us to just stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and wonder how he could love us sinners so unsaved and unclean and we think how marvelous how wonderful and our song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is our savior's love for us help us just to be blown away by your grace and your mercy lord forgive us for the ways that we've just become grumpy the ways that we have become thankless and lord use this time even now to reset our hearts lord tune our hearts to sing your praise Lord, they may be out of tune this morning, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would tune our hearts to sing your praise all again as we say thank you for all that you've done. We pray and ask these things humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen.